It's 11 minutes before the hour. You're listening to Raven Radio, KCAW Sitka. Today is Wednesday, September 16th, 2020. I'm Aaron Fulton with Raven News. Another Sitkin has tested positive for the coronavirus. The Sitka Unified Command announced a new case on Monday. The young man is between the ages of 10 and 19 and had symptoms when he received testing on September 11th, according to a city press release. The city is reporting 59 total cases of the coronavirus. That includes 42 resident cases and 17 non-resident cases. One case is active and two cases have been reported in the last two weeks. The city reported the same case count after releasing information about a case on Friday. Emergency Operations Public Information Officer Jessica Aramia said the state misclassified Friday's case as a Sitka resident and has now corrected the mistake. At last count, the state of Alaska reported over 7,300 total cases of the coronavirus. Around 57 percent of those cases are considered active. Governor Mike Dunleavy's nominee to the board that regulates state fisheries drew a lot of heat at a recent confirmation hearing. As Coast Alaska's Jacob Resnick reports, the timing of two of the appointments and the COVID-19 emergency makes it possible the appointees could set policy for Alaska's commercial, sport and subsistence fisheries without first being confirmed by lawmakers. This month's House confirmation hearing began with a relative unknown in Alaska's world of fish politics. Mackenzie Mitchell is an adjunct professor at UAF School of Management. She called in from a boat on the Yukon River, where she's working as a moose hunting guide. It almost seems like your natural fit for the board game. That's House Speaker Bryce Edgman of Dillingham quizzing her on her credentials to serve on the Board of Fisheries. Why would you put your name for the Board of Fisheries when your experience is on the game side primarily? My uh, experience, I guess, in both fisheries and, and hunting in the state of Alaska has been, I, you know, pretty well balanced. As relevant experience, Mitchell has touted her graduate thesis on the region's halibut sport fishery, which is regulated by an international commission, not the state of Alaska. Her appointment was also endorsed by Fairbanks Fish and Game Advisory Committee. Representative Louise Stutes of Kodiak quizzed a different nominee, John Wood, on his close ties to the governor. Wood had worked as an aide to Senator Dunleavy. He now describes himself as a retired attorney residing in the Susitna Valley. Mr. Wood, are you currently in any capacity employed by the state presently? Yes, I'm on the contract uh, with the Department of Administration and the governor's office. And and who do you report to with that? Uh... I report directly to the governor. Stutes pressed him whether his relationship could influence his independence on the board. No fish issues whatsoever are covered by the contract. So, no, I don't believe there to be a, any kind of a, a conflict. That didn't satisfy the Kodiak Republican. Personally, that's very alarming to me. I, I just believe that morally, if not ethically, it is a conflict, but I will move on. But the most controversial nominee has been Abe Williams. He's employed by the Pebble Partnership, which seeks to develop an open-pit golden copper mine on the headwaters of Bristol Bay, where he grew up. You know, I've, I've fished in Bristol Bay for 30 years um, I have subsistence fish with my grandmother, uh, sports fish with my family, my kids, and, uh, you know, I cherish this resource just as any other. Williams was also a plaintiff in a pebble-backed lawsuit that sought to block Bristol Bay's Regional Seafood Development Association from using dues from commercial fishermen to oppose the pebble mine. Uh, my challenge to them was largely in recognition to large sums of uh, monies that uh, we pay into the organization being directed to organizations like United Tribes for Bristol Bay and uh, Salmon State. A judge dismissed the case last year. 
Bristol Bay's sockeye fishery is limited to 32-foot gillnet boats, relatively small compared to much of Alaska's fishing fleet. Successive proposals before the Board of Fish to open the fishery to larger vessels have been voted down. He denied being part of past efforts to change the rule, but said he can understand why the limit has critics. As a fisherman, I can see where um, the limit of 32 foot um, really creates a strain on your ability to do so adequately and be safe when you do it. One of the nominees was uncontroversial, longtime chairman John Jensen. The Petersburg resident is now the sole board member from a coastal fishing community for the rulemaking body that makes critical decisions of allocation that can affect livelihoods and impact food security. It's also the arbiter in long-running disputes between commercial fishermen and the charter fleet or subsistence groups. The committee opened the line to public testimony. All of the governor's nominees received support from the sport fishing sector, including Abe Williams. Here's Forrest Braden of the Southeast Alaska Guides Organization. Uh, Mr. Williams has taken flack today for his connection with Pebble, the Pebble Project, but I personally find it hard to believe that he would knowingly jeopardize the fishery that supported him for decades. But commercial fishermen took a dimmer view. It doesn't matter that Mr. Williams has fished Bristol Bay for 30 years. It matters that he works for the Pebble Limited Partnership. That's Georgie Heverly, a Cook Inlet gillnetter and member of Anchorage's Fish and Game Advisory Committee. And the lawsuit he was involved in against the BBRSDA was widely opposed by commercial fishermen. So to appoint him as a commercial fishing representative that does not even have the support of that sector is an insult to this process and an insult to Alaska's fishermen. Others questioned the qualifications of the governor's nominees, all of whom live in the rail belt, on their grasp on subsistence fisheries. Stephanie Quinn Davidson is director of the Yukon River Intertribal Fish Commission for Tanana Chiefs Conference. She says the Board of Fish makes crucial allocation decisions that can impact food security in rural Alaska. These decisions need to be taken seriously, and I have concerns with some of the responses you received from these appointees today that showed woeful inexperience with and knowledge of Arctic Yukon Cuscoquim fisheries. Two of the nominees, Mitchell and Williams, were appointed in April. The legislature adjourned early due to the COVID-19 pandemic, and neither they nor Wood were confirmed. Legislative legal counsel says state law allows them to serve 30 days after the COVID-19 emergency declaration expires, currently mid-December. But if the state's disaster declaration is extended, the governor's Board of Fish nominees could serve until January 18th without being confirmed. That means nominees could vote on fisheries issues affecting Prince William Sound and Southeast without being confirmed by a majority vote of lawmakers. Susan Doherty, executive director of the Southeast Alaska Sainters Association, says that isn't right. Unless being considered for reappointment, we believe no candidate should be able to sit and make judgment decisions that affect the lives and livelihoods or cultural opportunities of the people of Alaska without first being confirmed. Yet the Board of Fish's schedule remains up in the air. Its support staff has pointed to risks of holding in-person meetings in Cordova and Ketchikan this fall and winter. Reporting in Juneau, I'm Jacob Resnick. The Board of Fisheries has scheduled a work session this Wednesday to discuss revising how to hold regional meetings in the age of COVID. It's considering major revisions to the 2020-2021 schedule. Cyril George was a leader in the Beaver Clan of Angoon and was known for his contributions to local and regional politics. He was also known by those he was closest to as a photographer. When he died six years ago at the age of 92, he left behind a vast photo collection that is thought to be the largest ever made by someone who was Tlingit. As KCAW's Aaron McKinstry reports, George's family recently donated those photos with the goal of making them available to the public. 
Cyril George didn't go many places without his camera. Everywhere Cyril went in Angoon and maybe other places, he always had a camera hanging over his neck. That's former state senator and lifelong Angoon resident Albert Kukesh. He says George took pictures at basketball games, local celebrations, and weddings. Every native event that I am familiar with, he was there, and very rarely without his cameras. George documented everyday life in the Admiralty Island Village. In one black-and-white photo from his collection, three women wearing regalia pose near the shore. In another, a man disembarks from a boat. When George passed away in 2014, the Clinkett elder and founding Sea Alaska board member left behind a collection of over 4,000 photos. Last month, his family donated that collection to the Sea Alaska Heritage Institute. Chuck Smythe is the nonprofit's director of culture and history. Because he wants these to be used and, and seen by many people. You know, it's quite an amazing collection. 75 years of photos spanning the 1920s to the 1990s. Right now, the photos are sitting in boxes. They'll have to be wrapped in plastic for a month before they can even enter the Institute's archive. That's to make sure they don't bring any mold in with them. And people will have to wait until the archive opens again to view them. It's currently closed because of the coronavirus pandemic. But eventually, Smythe says, they hope to digitize the collection and put it online to broaden its reach. And to collect caption information. We can't wait too long because we want to make sure that any of the older people who who would be able to reach back in their memory the early photos um, are still with us. Smythe says having such extensive documentation of life in a traditional, tight-knit community where many people live subsistence lifestyles has great historical and cultural significance. You know, you can't put a price on photos taken from somebody from within the culture, and in this case, from within the community as well. Because he sees things uh, very differently than an outsider would, and... uh, as that history of attachment to the land. Kukesh, who considered George a mentor and close friend, says the collection has personal significance for him and his community. It will help bring back memories of people and events long forgotten. But he also sees the collection as important statewide, nationally, and even internationally. Well, I want people to see those pictures from Angoon who live, from people who live in Germany or live in Anchorage, and they could see it an Angoon through Cyril George's eyes, that they, they could see the history of what we had and how we grew and how we survived. He says he's grateful to the family that the photos didn't end up collecting dust in a forgotten drawer. Reporting in Sitka, I'm Erin McKinstry. I'm Erin Fulton, and this has been Raven News. This is